Hello once again, and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Though I know I should be wary, still I conjure something scary. Nerdly hauntings I turn loose. Micah, Micah, Micah! And that's Matsy. So, here on Animation Celery, Matsy and I give each other cartoons to watch. Then, we discuss and review them. And although we're already into November, we decided we needed one more week of Halloween, Halloween spook to scoop. We'll be looking at the first episode of Soul Eater and a Beetlejuice episode called Laugh of the Party. As always, though, first off we chat, so what's up, Matsy? Okay, first I got a minor correction from last week. Okay. Uh, I said, I was, I was reviewing uh, an episode of the real Ghostbusters called Knock Knock. Mm. And at one point I said that it was a few episodes after uh, the previous episode that I reviewed, The Revenge of Murray the Mantis. Okay. Now, that is how it appears in the list of episodes in CTV's streaming service. Mm. But it is not the actual order of the episodes. Okay. In actu- in actuality, Knock Knock was the season premiere of season two. Hmm. So, so that was them whipping out the big guns, the, the, you know, the everything on the line world threat. It's so yeah. Hmm? Ghostbusters is a little funky in terms of whether or not you go by its release schedule, the way they decide to put it on the DVDs and. There's there's yeah. a lot of variants to it. Yeah, I I I looked at the Wikipedia page and I was like, I looked at okay, the air date. Okay, it was the first one in the air date. Production code. Yeah, it's the first one in the production code. I'm pretty confident saying this is the season premiere. Hmm. Anyway, second thing, I've been slacking at my cartoons lately, so I made an effort to watch one this time that I could talk about. Okay. I. Went on to Netflix and watched the first episode of the new sensation that's sweeping the nation, Inside Job. Okay. Have you seen this? No, it's teasing me in my uh, YouTube algorithms, but... Yeah, me too. Hmm. Which is why I think it's sweeping the nation, even though it might not be. Okay. Um, It's a show about a... Basically, it's this woman named uh, Regan Ridley, who is a brilliant scientist who has kind of taken her father's place after he was forced out of a shadow organization that runs the world. Uh, kind of the Illuminati. Mm. It's uh, the the company, the shadow corporation, cover corporation is called Cognito Inc., which is pretty good. Yeah. And I just watched the first episode and basically she is ready to work her way up. She's got her life's work here, which is a robot uh, replacement for the president. Um, She feels she has mastered uh, artificial intelligence with this robot, but she is promoted. But her people skills are so bad that she's promoted with a new hire, a co-leader uh, named Brett Hand, who is useless. He is he was hired specifically because he's no so nondescript that no one would pay any attention to him. Mm. And he's really likable and she's really not. And so everybody on the team, there's a, a 
I, I think there's a woman who might be a psychic or something. I can't remember what her deal is. Uh, there's a army guy who is the um, the volunteer to be spliced with a dolphin. So he has all the strength and intelligence of a dolphin. Huh. Okay. Uh, there is a sentient mushroom named Mike who can read people's minds. All right. And the guy who's in charge of chemicals, I can't remember his name, but he is like, you know, he's just like huffs chemtrails and stuff like that. And so, yeah, this show is basically Reagan trying to cope with this really likable, but um, oblivious co-worker that everybody likes more than her, even though she's the real brains behind the operation and her father who lives with her and is uh, drunk and just wants her attention. And his primary means of getting her attention, it seems, is to try to draw the world's attention to the fact that all the conspiracy theories are true. Like he's just, you know, he he hangs out in his bathrobe, like yelling gibberish through a, a, a megaphone about how lizard people control the government and all this stuff, mm. which is all true, it turns out. Oh, OK. But he's but he sounds crazy. Mm. And so Reagan is able to, like, tamp it down. But at the same time, she's like, don't tell people. Okay. So, yeah, I've just watched the first episode. I'm not really sure where it's going. It seemed to just set up the, you know, the friction between the two and then their kind of truce. Hmm. There's it's there's an anime that does the same thing with a character where his best asset is his forgettability. Mm. So that nobody can remember even his teammates forget about him right away. <laughs> so This sounds familiar. Did we talk about this before? I think we must have. Yeah. What's it called? Boy, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I remember lots of stuff about it. They're like a school group that solves problems. Um, mm. And uh, his weapon of choice is a uh, slingshot with steel balls. Mm. Um, shoot. Can't remember this thing. It was, it was all right. But anyway. Well, that's per- that's perfect. But there's there's other stuff like it. I think it's a trope now. So maybe it's it's OK that this show uses it, too. And this show kind of it's it's definitely pulling from Rick and Morty. Okay, you can tell Mm. like it's it doesn't look like Rick and Morty. Um, um, Justin Roiland has nothing to do with it. It's actually executive producers, Alex Hirsch, the creator of uh, Gravity Falls. Okay, Um, it looks okay. It looks unremarkable. Um, (laughs) It's I think that's probably why I've given it a pass. (laughs) It's got that adult humor to it, you know, plenty of swearing and, you know, allusions to alcohol and drugs and sex and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, But I don't know. Maybe I'll watch more of it. There's only 10 episodes right now, so it's not a huge commitment. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't it hasn't grabbed me in a way that makes me go, oh, I got to see where this is going. Hmm. 10 episodes is okay. Like 13 episode seasons are ideal to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes even a show I like, I'll uh, wonder, like, am I getting close? And I'll, I'll check and think, <laughs> like, wow, these seasons have over 20 episodes. Yeah. Mm. The only other thing that I want to mention, this made me laugh, like, out loud at my desk. Mm-hmm. Did you know they're making another Garfield movie? Huh. Um, 
Well, it's it sounds like the way the universe flows. Do you know who's doing the voice of Garfield? Well, I guess it's notable. It's not Billy West or something like that. Chris Pratt. Well, of course he is. <laughs> I saw someone make the comments like, oh, between Mario and Garfield, that's a lot of lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the same thing. Like, that made me laugh. I was like, of course it's Chris Pratt doing Garfield. Yeah. He's just everybody now. He's so nondescript that he can just fit in anywhere. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know that he's right for Garfield, though. He's kind of everywhere. He is. Yeah. Like, the, like I said, the current voice of Garfield is uh, Frank Welker, who is just, you know, he's doing his best impression of Lorenzo music. Mm. I mean... Bill Murray doing it in the first two movies was amusing. But, I mean, like, Lorenzo music was so iconic. And I know that you prefer Tummy Gummy yeah. or Peter Venkman. No, I don't um, I don't dislike him as Garfield. I just like the writing in Garfield. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, it's, that's such an iconic voice. Yeah. That everybody is just trying to fill those... Um, deceased shoes. It's not like, you know, put your own spin on Garfield. It's do Lorenzo music. That said, it's been a while, right? And I don't mm. think kids have Garfield in their consciousness, right? Like not until he's not until he's in Fortnite. Yes. When when we were kids, uh, the weekend especially, and probably weekdays too, you uh, checked out the funny pages in the paper. You even looked forward to the paper coming. <laughs> I used to, I never got the paper, but my grandparents did. And so they would have a stack of like the, the Sunday comics booklet, yeah. like the full color booklet. And they would have just have a stack of those in the basement. And it'd be like, oh yeah, the wizard of id. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the king is a fink. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's pretty much what I did. Okay. What about you? Um, well, I checked a new series on uh, Netflix as well. Uh, it's an anime called Blue Period. Okay. As in, like, the blue period of an artist's work. Yes, so, I mean, Picasso is the specific one there, but yes. Yeah. Um, the uh, It's about a high school boy who finds a passion for painting. Mm -hmm. And it's a drama. It's pretty good. Um I like, there's a lot of good points to it. Um, I like that there's some technical aspects to art and there's some stuff about art appreciation. Mm -hmm. I like that he's not like a hidden talent. He's not instantly yeah. good. He is kind of crummy, right? Right, um, right. The one thing that the uh, show, I think, doesn't do very well is convey how much time passes. Because at first I'm thinking this guy turns on a dime, right? Where it's like, mm. you know what? I'm going to give up on university and go to art school. <laughs> and I thought, really, <laughs> already? And it's like, oh, months have passed. But um, mm. uh, the other thing I think it did really well is it's got a good uh, diversity of characters in it, uh, character mm -hmm. designs. So mm -hmm. they really do a good job representing the flamboyance of the clothes and hairstyles of arty people. Okay. Uh, and also just, you know, different faces, different bodies. It's it's an anime with fat people in it. So, I mean. Mm. That's weird. <laughs> that's, yeah. And uh, they actually have a um, 
I guess she's non-binary. Hmm. Or they are non-binary, I, I, I guess. But it's not played for laughs. So, that's hmm. one of the principal characters. Uh, it's ongoing right now, so there's only four episodes out. But I like it all right. Hmm. All uh, right, cool. Uh, the other bit, the, the big news, is I finally finished Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Oh, finished. Wow. Yeah. Based on where you were, it kind of sounds like it might have been a bit of a marathon. No, I was pretty close, I think. I think it was just like six or seven episodes. Okay. Um, now, I guess I don't really want to give away everything that I'll, I'll kind of speak carefully. Yeah. But I'll say that, you know, I, before I was saying that it kind of had, uh, it was not as good as prior stuff, but I think the climax is good. And I'll say that they did bold stuff that actually made me feel something as as we got to the end. Hmm. 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 There was one bold kind of the the reveal of the villain. Oh, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Because I was I was thinking, like, how can they top Meteora? Hmm. And then that happened. And I was like, oh, that's how they top Meteora. Yeah. Yeah, and the villain gets to kind of skate a little bit there, like, oops, mm. my bad, right? But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the... Uh, I feel that the uh, the ending did some very bold things. Yep. It left some... Op- it, it could be open-ended and yet not, you know? Like, I think it shouldn't have any more to it, even though... I, I like when a show that has... Uh, like a fantastical or sci-fi element to it uh, has like things that have big world repercussions. Yeah. That they really should. And this yeah. does. Yes. I think one thing I think is kind of funky about it is I end up questioning what is magic exactly. I think, yeah. I think when they say magic, they basically mean sorcery. Cause okay. there are still like, uh, flying dragon cycles mm. and uh, pony girl and all her ilk are still floating detached heads that cry rainbows. So yeah, you're right. I mean, when you, I'm thinking now about Steven universe. Yeah. And you last I checked, you hadn't actually watched Steven universe future. I have not yet. So you have seen kind of where that show ends off like the yeah the end of the war if you will Mm -hmm. um and that's it's it's reminding me a little bit as you're as i'm remembering how star ends i'm thinking like that's actually kind of like steven universe where all the the um 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 antagonism is kind of dealt with more or less i mean there's still you know in Star's case, there's still that outlying, you know, Mina. Um, oh, yeah. But um, at the same time, it it kind of feels like, you know, the big, the, the big um, problem of the monsters versus humans thing is kind of dealt with. Yeah. And it's kind of reminding me of Steven Universe in that respect where it's like the big war between gems and everybody else is kind of dealt with. And then Steven universe future is like, well, now that that's taken care of, 
here's just to follow up on Stephen's life. Um, mm. Because Stephen, there is no big villain in Steven Universe future, really. Mm-hmm. It's it's mostly about Stephen, about yeah. like his him reconciling the last little bits of stuff that he has to reconcile. Right. And I wonder if it could, it's possible to do something like that with Star, or if it's if if there are any loose ends like that that really need to be tied up. Because what you're going to end up with if you try that is probably just a whole bunch of star and Marco dating. Yeah. I think, I think they, they specifically did not, uh, it's implied, but not like specifically stated as star ends. You know what I mean? I think what you do is you focus on something else. Like, Mm. uh, Steven universe future sounds a little bit like more of the same. I think maybe what they could have done that might have been interesting was uh, they could have spun it off into a show based on Lars. Mm, it, well, yes. Yeah, they could have. Well, I mean, um, in the same way, you don't like by the time Star ends, it's already a little played out. Mm. So they do well focusing on another character, maybe, you know? Yeah. Anyway, it's, yeah, it was a good show. And I think... Uh, I don't really feel it had a big dip at the end, like people say, so. Not a big dip, just not as good as season three. Yeah, but a lot of things, you know, I don't I don't think it takes away from the show. No, no, no. In, it, the, in the same way that, like, the best of, uh, I'll go to another series, um, the best of Legend of Korra mm. is the end of season three. But season <laughs> four, like, even though it has things like animation cutbacks in it, it's still good. Hmm. And it, it, you know, caps off the series fine. So I, I think it's yeah. okay. As, as long yeah. as you don't fall in the last season. Yeah. I mean, star star, all four seasons of star are perfectly worth watching. Hmm. Like, I like that show a lot. I actually rewatched the end of uh, season eight of my little pony. Oh yeah. It's one of those strange instances where, this is Netflix we're talking about, that Netflix is bringing in a new My Little Pony, but they don't have season nine of Friendship is Magic. <laughs> you know, in the same way, like, I think they they brought in uh, the new Inuyasha, but they only have mm. the first two seasons of Inuyasha, you yeah. know, or um, yeah. they're going to, in December, bring the new JoJo's while only having three seasons of JoJo's. I don't understand that, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think of which streaming service would own My Little Pony. Because, you know, there's things like the Star Wars movies used to be on Netflix and then Disney Plus came along. Right. So I'm thinking, like, who, what media conglomerate owns Hasbro currently? Hmm. And I'm not exactly sure which streaming service that show would fall under. Probably none because it's still on Netflix at all. Well, one way or another, I'll probably watch the last season of My Little Pony because, mm, you know, mm. a, a little distance was nice. So when I rewatched the last episodes of season eight, I thought, hey, these are pretty good. So, yeah, I need to I need to take that approach with DuckTales. <laughs> yeah. DuckTales. The thing with DuckTales is the reboot of DuckTales is mm. that I think it's really good and I really enjoy it. But then there'll be like one really bad episode Mm. and it leaves such a bad taste in my mouth that I go away for months (laughs) and then I sneak back in and I was like, oh, right. Actually, this show was really cool. Mm. 
Hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we've we've covered the gamut of a whole lot of series. Yeah. We should talk about the uh, ones we're scheduled to talk about this week. Anime with interesting character designs? Yeah. Sounds like Soul Eater to me. Hmm. Soul Eater, like many animes, is based on a manga series. This particular one, uh, made by Atsushi Okubo. And... Because you gave me the first episode, I don't really need to set up what Death Eater, or not Death Eater, Soul Eater is. Yeah. Because this episode will do it for me. Mm-hmm. So I'll just talk about it. This episode is entitled Resonance of the Soul. Will Soul Eater become a Death Scythe? And that question is the kind of thing that, like, it's that sort of long winded anime title that makes no sense. Mm. But then you actually watch it. And it suddenly couldn't be any simpler. Yeah. All right. So the episode starts with a basic setup of the idea of this show, which is souls who turn from the human path can become uh, monstrous Kishin eggs. And Kishin are demon gods who have the potential to plunge the world into chaos and disrupt the cycle of life and death. And so death has set up a school, the Death Weapon Meister Academy, Mm. which trains pairs of beings, one a living weapon and the other the meister who wields it, to be essentially assassins who seek these living Kishin eggs. I keep wanting to say Kenshin. Kishin eggs and destroy them and consume their souls before they can mature into full-fledged Kishin. Now, when you say death, you mean like the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he's a... He's an oddly goofy character. He's all black with kind of a springy top. He's got a skull face, sort of, and gigantic white hands. Yeah, like uh, uh, sports stadium foam hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or these, you know, if, I mean, this was published, the anime was, or not the the anime, the manga was published by Square Enix. And I'm thinking if this was a video game, you'd probably have to climb on his hands to stomp on his head or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> this the series plays kind of fast and loose with location. Um, I uh, looking at the Wikipedia for it, I get this the idea that this is in a fictional place. I think it's called like Death City mm. in Nevada. So okay, wow, but I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. I'm just kind of skimming over the Wikipedia real quick here. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is uh, uh, located in the fictional Death City, Nevada. Yes. Okay. But I always assumed it was another dimension because it's got a really weird sun and moon in that area. <laughs> it does. It plays re- and it plays like when this starts, it looks like London because yes. there's like a Big Ben style yeah. thing. And so it starts out in this place um, where a woman is walking alone at night. And she is brutally murdered by a monstrous thing with a voice like the Ghibli's painting from Homestar Runner, Hmm. which then eats her soul. The creature we will later discover is Jack the Ripper, then preys on another woman, but is stopped by the combo of Maka and Soul Eater. Maka is a gangly young woman who is working to become a full-fledged meister and Soul Eater is her weapon. He is a scythe who often takes the form of a young human man with 
sharp teeth and spiky white hair, and is preoccupied with how masculine and cool he is. So the two have a, have a fight with Jack the Ripper and dispatch him, and Soul Eater eats his soul. Now, this is the 99th soul that the duo have successfully recovered, and for the 100th, Soul Eater needs to devour the soul of a witch. And by doing this, he will graduate into a death scythe, the trusted weapon of death himself. So there's the title of the episode. And that will increase his power and therefore his masculine cool exponentially. And also, Maka will become a full-fledged scythemeister. So the two then report to Death, who is proud of their progress. It seems that Maka's mother was also a skilled scythemeister, and she must have been very skilled because her husband and Maka's father is Death's Death Scythe, named Death Scythe. I think he has a different, another name, but they just mm. call him Death Scythe. Yeah. Death Scythe, <laughs> Death Scythe ironically worries about Soul Eater getting too handsy with his daughter, or not handsy enough with his daughter. But, to be blunt, Soul Eater thinks that he's too manly and cool to be with a girl as, quote, short-stacked, which is to say flat-chested, as Maka. And Maka is estranged from her father, even though he still wants her to love him. So, by the way, the two, um, hmm. I, I remember it. Her father, apparently, his name is Spirit. Oh, yeah. okay. Sure. All right. Where was I? Okay, so now Maka and Soul Eater have to hunt down a witch. And the warning that Death gives them is that if they mess it up, they forfeit all the Kishin eggs they've already eaten and they have to start over. And now about halfway through the episode, we get the title card. <laughs> and next we cut to a house. And this is why you said this was such a Halloween episode, because the house is basically a pumpkin house. Mm. And inside, there's a purple-haired lady in a witch's hat taking a bath. And she's singing about her pumpkin magic while a magic brush helps scrub her in, you know, an anime-style way where all the important stuff is just covered by some bubbles. Barely. Yeah. So this is Blair. <laughs> Named after the Blair Witch Project, actually. Hmm. And Maka and Soul Eater show up to claim her soul. Now, Maka wants to be careful because she knows that witches are very powerful. But Soul Eater thinks that sneaking isn't manly. The most manly approach is to charge in head first. And so he charges through the window head on and ends up with his head between Blair's boobs. Blair is more curious than anything and amuses herself teasing Soul Eater. And though Soul Eater tries to be manly enough to be unfazed by the sight of a naked woman, anime nosebleeds and the angry Maka disrupt him. Blair is still curious about the idea that the two have come to claim a witch's soul. She magically gets dressed, and when she sees Soul Eater turn into a scythe, she decides that she has nothing against Maka and wants Soul Eater for her own. With one blast of her pumpkin projectile attack, Halloween cannon, she sends the would-be assassins packing. In the morning, which is indicated by a weird pinata-like sun, and there's also a weird pinata-like moon, mm. um, Death Scythe, remember Maka's father, is at an establishment called Chupacabras. 
which has hearts all over it. And she he is enjoying the company of two women. This might be a bit of like Japanese culture that I'm not 100 percent sure of because they're, they're just like hostesses. They're just that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, on the face of it, it seems like it should be a brothel. But I guess this is a thing in Japan where there are just bars with cute girls who sit with you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, he is enjoying the company of these two women. And these two women have an expository conversation for our sake, explaining <laughs> that death size womanizing has strained his relationship with his family, pushing his daughter Maka away and causing his wife to initiate divorce proceedings. Hearing this uh, sends death scythe into a comedic frenzy of professing his love for Maka and her mother before he pays his tab at the lady club. I got to say, those are some pretty bad hostesses. <laughs> Discuss the failure of uh, their patron as a man. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the the one is like trying to bring up his daughter. And, and then the other one's like, you can't bring up his daughter. And it's like it like the first one fails. And then the second one fails by explaining why the first one fails. Yeah. But, you know, we needed that exposition. We need to know what a, quote, horn dog death scythe is. Mm. All right, so the next day, which is night, Maka and Soul Eater head toward Blair's house again. But she catches them and snuggles Soul Eater, incapacitating him with another anime nosebleed and costing the assassins the element of surprise. The next next day, and I like that this anime, or that this show, I should say, is uh, humorous enough to actually call it that. Oh, yeah. The next next day, they head to Blair's house again. Now, Maka has written out a plan, but Soul Eater doesn't think a written plan will do much good. And while they argue, Blair finds them and blasts them with her Halloween cannon. And now it's the next, next, next day and the final round where we join in progress. Maka and Soul Eater fighting Blair and her swarm of pumpkin missiles. The two are arguing, though. Maka is disgusted at what sex-hungry lowlife's men are, and Soul Eater can't believe what an unreasonable woman Maka is being. The easygoing Blair offers to treat Soul Eater right, but when Maka says they're partners, Blair's new goal is to kill Maka and take the scythe. Maka tries to fight back, but she's no match for Blair, and Soul Eater now isn't talking to her, apparently considering the witch's offer. As Death Scythe returns from the club, Death shows him that his daughter is about to be killed by the witch, and Death Scythe wants to help, but Death agrees that they could stop her Blair easily, but this is Maka's fight to win or lose. Maka ends up hanging by her scythe from a rooftop, and Soul Eater turns back into a human, just to let her drop into the garbage. Soul Eater has decided to give up on the hassle of Kishinegg reclamation and instead become Blair's scythe, which suits Death Scythe just fine because it gets him away from his daughter and also he can't blame her for going after that woman. Maka thinks Blair has bewitched Soul Eater, but Soul Eater pretty much explains that real men prefer curvy ladies with big boobs and not straight-hipped, flat-chested girls like Maka. Maka is heartbroken, having flashbacks to various times where she caught her father cheating on her mother. But, just as all hope is lost, Soul Eater proclaims 
that cool men don't cheat, and with Blair's guard down, he turns into a scythe and gives Maka the chance to cut the witch down. Soul Eater eats the witch's soul, and nothing happens. And just then, a cat in Blair's hat shows up and turns into Blair. Because it turns out Blair isn't actually a witch. She's a magical cat, and cats come equipped with multiple lives. And since the 100th soul Soul Eater ate was a cat's soul, not a witch's soul, their mission is a failure, and the two have to go all the way back to square one with zero souls, which sets up the rest of the series, I guess. Kind of. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is, I think, like getting to see a manga in its early uh, form. Hmm. And it's like larval form, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think in the next handful of episodes, they talk about the concept of collecting 100 souls. Right. But it kind of isn't relevant to most of the series. Well, Um, yeah. uh, They end up getting involved in, you know, plots and villains and the like. Um, Sure, sure. Anyway. uh, Uh, I think think, uh, they they really get ripped off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Blair has all the trappings of a witch. (laughs) <laughs> especially yeah. like even that she's a cat uh as as the series goes on they introduce various witches and they're all animal themed so hmm even if they had that detail that would only reinforce the idea that she's a witch yeah anyway there's a little more here oh is there uh maka oh. maka is appalled that she has to start over soul eater is appalled that he doesn't get to be super cool and blair still just wants soul eater for herself and then now, I don't know if this is, like, exclusive to the version of this that I saw or what, but mm. um, there's a little teaser of another Meister named Blackstar and his Kusarigama, which is like a pair of sickles connected by chains, uh, named Tsubaki. And they are preparing to attack the Kishin egg Al Capone as he dines on human souls. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. So... Here's my thoughts. Um, watching the, what do you call it? The intro? Yeah. The, the the opening credits, I guess. Yes. A number of different characters were teased. Yeah. And I loved all their character designs. Isn't it an interesting uh, collection of characters? Yeah. yeah. I didn't, and I, like, I didn't get to see them all. Like, yeah, they're obviously going to be introduced in a drip feed. Yeah. Um. So you're saying about those those designs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the first three episodes set up the principles. Mm-hmm. So as you said, the next one will introduce um, Black Star and Tsubaki. Yep. And the one after that will be Death the Kid and Liz and Patty. Okay. Cool. Is Death the Kid the guy that looks sewn together? Uh, no, Death the Kid is the uh, black-haired kid in the suit with two guns. Uh, possibly. I just saw him very briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, like I said, that this is like looking at it in its larval stage. Yeah. Um, the beginning handfuls of episodes are very much Halloween, the cartoon. Like, Mm. uh, they do, they introduce a lot of universal monsters kind of characters. So like, there's there's a Frankenstein, there's a mummy. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of evolves from there. Yeah, I noticed there was 
<laughs> something that jumped out. I was kind of glancing through um, uh, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. just kind of looking at these some of the characters' names, and you know, like Blair is like, oh yeah, Blair Witch Project. I got that. Um, apparently, there is a character in this show named Sid Barrett. Okay, and um, and that's the the kanji for Sid Barrett is a pun because it also means like dead person. Huh. And it also weirded me out because Sid Barrett was the original lead singer and songwriter of Pink Floyd who, um, they had to, Hmm. The kind way to put it now would be to, um, let him go due to his, uh, the disruption of his, uh, mental health issues. But in 1965, it's like they fired him because he was crazy and ruining everything. (laughs) So that kind of jumped out at me as a Pink Floyd fan. I was like, oh, there's a character named Sid Barrett and Sid Barrett is a pun that means dead person in Japanese. That's weird. (laughs) Um, That was more of that trivia. I like I like this. I like I said, I I like the character designs of this. Um, Mm -hmm. They're all really cool. Um. I like, I liked Maka. Mm. I, something that I couldn't help but notice, like it kind of, it was something that occurred to me early on. And then it was something that I just kept watching for despite my best efforts, Mm. which was that she has an incredibly short skirt. Yeah. And yet they never show up it. (laughs) <laughs> you were looking carefully well I was Rewind. like well he was cynical it was like oh how oh, long yeah, yeah. is this going to take and then she fell down and it was like the angles and her animation were very careful and I was yeah. like oh hmm and then as you know she goes through more and more fight scenes is kind of this side plot of there it, it wasn't like me looking for it it was me more looking for how they cover it mm. and so that's you know that's a little bit unusual in an anime, especially when you have a character like Blair. Oh, yeah. You know, her look, Maka, is kind of punk. Yeah. And I think Soul's look is a little hip hop. And I think that kind of describes both the music and the style of the show. Yeah. Soul looks like a gorilla's. I mean, quite specifically because of his sharp teeth, I guess. He he looks like um, the uh, what's his name? Murdoch. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's yeah. a fun thing that you noted, like musical illusions, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Maka's family name is Alburn. Huh. Like, uh, Damon, <laughs> Damon Alburn. Yeah. 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 OK. The, the singer from Gorillaz. So, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. I noticed early on, like when it was first going through the beginning bit of showing like Death's Castle and all that stuff, mm. the music sounded so distinctly like it was coming out of a super NES. Okay. Okay. Like, like that specific music style, kind of soft, you know what I mean? Like the, the super NES couldn't really do harsh music. Everything was kind of, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like soft. Yeah. And it had that kind of a car horn sound effect that acts as a uh, organ, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then learning that square Enix published the manga, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, I also had the amusing thought of watching the sun and the moon with their big smiles and little motions and stuff. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the sun in the NFB cartoon, The Apprentice. 
Oh, okay. Where you just yeah, have yeah. this smiley sun overhead <laughs> just going, oh. You know, they're part of the other character in this show. The settings. Like, I love looking at this town. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the sun and moon, I get, I, I'm happy every time I see them. <laughs> There's one variation of the sun I like where it's so hot that he's like panting and sweating. <laughs> um, I like, uh, we, don't, we don't really get to see the Academy too much except for uh, Death's Sanctum. Mm-hmm. But even that's funky, right? With like its weird kind of multi-barred crosses. And then there's uh, Japanese gates, Tories, these, you know, red gates, I think most yeah. people are pretty familiar with. Yeah. And the tops of them are guillotines. I noticed that when yeah. Death Scythe was walking away down this little hall, was, I was like, are those guillotines? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like like yeah. a lot of the designs, like like I said, like I like the character. Does, like Maka doesn't look like a typical anime girl. Soul mm. Eater. Mm, he, he, there's there's a way in which he kind of looks like Naruto's corrupted ghost hey. um, with his white hair and it's all spiked back and his sharp teeth. And he's he's usually drooling um, yeah. because he's hungry for souls, you see. Yeah. Yeah, I was and, and like seeing the teases of the characters, like I was immediately impressed right from the opening credits. I'm like, oh, I want to see more of these characters. Mm. You know, this is a this is a funky show. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, when I watched it years ago, I thought, yeah, this is all right. And then I kept watching it, kept watching it. And then later on, I was thinking, you know, for boys anime series, which is the best one, which is my favorite one. Mm. And it kind of snuck up on me, snuck up on me like, oh, Soul Eater, I guess, you know, like I had a fun time watching it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of holds a weird spot in that it was popular at the time. But then it just kind of disappeared, right? Mm. Like, I don't think people would list it in the top boys anime, but uh, I think it's better than Naruto. And I've got no slight against Naruto. I think it's a good series, but I think this is just more interesting. Mm-hmm. They they give a lot of characters uh, interesting things to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of funny. The weapons, to some degree, fade into the background, right? Because there's limit, like. When you think of a conflict, you would say that uh, Maka and Blackstar and Death, the kid, were in it, right? Mm. You kind of forget that Soul and all the weapons are there. But they give, um, like, in I, I think probably sec- second season, they give Soul an interesting conflict. Um, they give some of the villains interesting relationships. Uh, mm. One one character design, I don't think she shows up in this opening, but... Uh, there's a frog witch named Erika. Here, I'll, I'll show you, and then I'll tweet it later, too. Okay. But I am I find her quite fascinating. Oh. Yeah, I love this character. Yeah. The spots on, her, on the corners of her mouth and her, like, party dress. <laughs> she looks so goofy. She looks like... She looks like a minor character that you would encounter in the Little Nemo NES game. Yeah. <laughs> I think another good thing about this show, uh, I mean, as it goes on, there are uh, some power-ups, but they're, like, meaningful, right? So it's mm. it's not a case of where we got to see these people power up every few episodes. Yeah. Um, and although I guess some characters have broad powers, there's a sense, logic, and style to them. So, like, some of the villains have such neat powers. Overall, it's just like a cool show, I think. Yeah, I... It gave me a nice taste in my mouth from the first episode. 
Like I, mm. I like the way it looks. I like the idea of it. I like death. I like that death is kind of a goof, but a knowing goof. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he knows stuff, but at the same time, he's silly. Um, he's got this, he, this thing where he, uh, chopped death scythe over the head with his giant hand and then warned him not to make him bring out the reaper's chop. And Death's yeah. like, is like, you need to warn me before you do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I like that. I like that his head has a big cave in, in the shape of the, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Of his head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, this was a, you know, of the animes that you've made me watch the first episode. Yeah. Um, this one grabbed me more than Jojo's Bizarre Adventure did. I, I could see myself watching some more of this. I think it's very Westerner friendly, too. Mm, and I, mm. especially now that I think that a lot of our, uh, Western series are bridging the gap the other way. Mm. So this wouldn't seem so very different than something like Steven Universe, maybe, or, you know, yeah, action-y kind of shows. Yeah. So, yeah, Soul Eater. That seems pretty good. Yeah. And, the name, and the name makes sense. Speaking of okay. names... We've said Soul Eater a whole bunch. we got to be careful about saying names. Bad stuff can happen if you say names too much. Well, let's talk about Beetlejuice, henceforth (gasps) named BJ. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, the Beetlejuice cartoon was immensely popular. It's adapted from the sleeper hit Tim Burton movie in 1988. And the titular BJ is a ghostly scoundrel and con man from another dimension called the Neitherworld. He is bonded to a gothy living little girl named Lydia and his magical interferences help make her life less boring, but more haunted and gloomy, which is just the way she likes it. (laughs) Uh, So one of the conventions is that if you say his name three times, you summon him to you. Uh, More often the case in the cartoon, it actually brings Lydia to the neither world and also changes her hairstyle and dress. Yeah. This particular episode is Laugh of the Party, written by Patsy Cameron and Ted Anasty in 1989. So at the beginning, Lydia chats with Beetlejuice, who appears through her mirror, and she mentions that Halloween is tomorrow night. There's an opportunity for Lydia and Beetlejuice to spend time together in public since his corpse-like appearance won't be out of place since everyone will be in costume. Now, you'd think Halloween is a date that BJ wouldn't miss. And also, they seem to kind of abandon the idea that she needs to say his name three times. He just kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Um, later at school, the school snob Claire flaunts that she's throwing a Halloween party and that Lydia isn't invited. Lydia lies that she's throwing a party, and the lie gets out of control when her geeky friends Bertha and Prudence overhear it. Later on, when Lydia seeks Beetlejuice's counsel... He's happy to terrorize Claire, but then he gets carried away with the idea of throwing a party. Lydia's mother, Delia, is also excited to throw a party. She dresses up her stepdaughter as a pink bunny in bows. Further, she invites everyone in the school to the party. Claire opts to drop by to make fun of the affair before she goes to her own party. This is kind of a weird thing to me. It seems a little out of character for Delia to be such a normie. Yeah, it seems like the family dynamic of the Dietzes has been... Well, I mean, there's a lot that's changed from the Beetlejuice movie. 
But sure. the like for the idea that like Lydia calls Delia mother. Yeah. In the movie, like she was not exactly happy about her stepmother. I think she always just called her Delia. Mm. But, but what are you going to do? They made a lot of concessions for the younger uh, audience. But her art is still weird. So it well, seems yes. weird to me that she's making like a pink bunny costume. And ah, then I that's thought, true. Yeah, I thought a little further on it and I wondered, like, it's sort of tragic. Maybe the end of the movie reconciles this, that actually Delia is the right mother to have if you're friends with ghosts. Because she is so weird. Yeah, that is possible. Anyway, in the meanwhile, Beetlejuice adopts his recurring living person identity as Mr. Beetleman, and he grifts Delia into hiring him as a caterer. Of course, he shops in the neither world for party supplies. And uh, every episode of Beetlejuice has a novel computer animation commercial segment for spooky products that are only available in the neither world. You know, when I was young, I thought that this was like cutout animation. Yeah. And it's only through my mature eyes that I look at it and go, oh, no, that's just really old computer animation. (laughs) Effectively, it's mostly cutout animation. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't think I really love these segments. No. But they got your attention. You know, kind of of like our, our opening... Uh, <laughs> saying our celery stalker slogan, it's just kind of like a cue, like "Oh, pay attention again," you know. Yeah, I guess I I never really liked it very much, mm. but I could kind of see the transparent, you know, gotta wedge this into every episode. That oh, was, right. What are you gonna do? Well, here here it makes sense at least. Yeah. So, at the uh, party store, uh, BJ acquires a party animal and further pads the monstrous guests with party guests in a can. Now, saving at least a little face, Lydia alters her bunny costume into a menacing werewolf look. And then, after putting out numerous gag decorations and refreshments, BJ just adds water to the people part, the party people, rather, in a can, making them grow into monsters to attend the party. And then he shifts into his other living world persona, the student Betty Juice. So... <laughs> There are a lot of jokes with the refreshments and decorations. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid thinking that the eye scream, a carton that opens up to a bunch of eyes flying out with a scream. Wow, that's pretty clever. <laughs> I don't know. As a, as a kid, at least. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I he think... had a, a punk in pie. Yeah. Had... <laughs> I think a had lot a... of the puns don't really age well. <laughs> But Maybe not. What are you going to... Eh, punk in well, pie. I also didn't like that Like it is such a stereotypical punk with a British accent and pink mohawk. Really? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. You're going to make me tangent here. Uh-huh. I was playing a video game, and for a particular part of it, I was looking at the leaderboard. Yeah. And I think number two was Maddie Matt. <laughs> We're alluding to Spartacus in the song. Awesome. Anyway, let's let's get back to Beetle. Oh, sorry, BJ. Um, I probably have already said his name three times, actually. Yeah, whatever. So, as Betty, BJ pushes the party animal to dance with Claire. And impulsively, she's smitten with this party animal. 
The cruel girl takes him away when her parents come to pick her up. But all three rich folk are terrified when they realize that he's really a monster holding his own detached head. Meanwhile, Lydia reads a warning on the party people, uh, uh, the can that is, not to use them on a full moon, which is that night. <laughs> all the monsters grow again and escape, rampaging through the town. Lydia and Beetlejuice team up to dehydrate the monsters in various ways so that they shrink back to cannibal size. Uh, I guess anyone under 40 <laughs> will not know about this toy, I guess. But uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of before our time. Shrinky dinks. Oh, yeah. They're like, I guess they're kind of dehydrated sponges. So they're in oh. the shape of. Uh, oh, no, I'm thinking of something else. Aren't That's I? yeah. Shrinky dinks are like plastic things that you color and put in the oven and they shrink right, down right. into little charms. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? The ones I mean, that grow when you get them wet. You know, I, I don't I think they have various names. They're just a generic dollar store thing where it's like this little pill and you put it in water and then the the capsule dissolves and the sponge inside grows. I mean, it was immortalized in the Simpsons when, you know, yes. Bart <laughs> used the money he got selling his soul to get these sponge dinosaurs that just barely grew. But everybody knows <laughs> what these are. Yeah. These little sponge okay. things. Yeah, I'm sure. So at any rate, they, they, they go through the town, you know, using a hairdryer or a, a water pump in order to get the, the water out of these things to shrink them back to cannibal size. Yeah. And um, you keep saying cannibal and it took me a second to realize that you meant able to be put in a can. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Cannibal size. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, so uh, here's a tie in to a recent episode of Animation Salary. One of their ploys is Beetlejuice putting on the persona of a hairdresser in order to lure one into a salon. <laughs> Just like Bugs Bunny does to, yeah, uh, yeah to Rudolph the hair monster. Hmm. So anyway, after a fun night of monster hunting, BJ carelessly flushes the monsters down the toilet. And so they burst out of the sewer, forcing the duo to hunt them down all over again. There you go. Laugh of the party. Yeah. Beetlejuice, you know, I, it, it doesn't, well, let me see. I, it's, it's tempting to say that it doesn't age well, but I think it might be more accurate to say that we don't age into it well. Because. Maybe so. Because I'm, you know. For a juvenile sense of humor, like it's well, like like I said, I thought ice ice cream was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird thing. This show, like you know, I was never that into it. Mm -hmm. It was on. It was on too long. Like it's, it's <laughs> there are a lot of Beetlejuice episodes. Yeah, it's four seasons. Yeah, um, and long ones at that. Some of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I don't know. If you look at it in a tempered outlook, there's good points to it. Like, I think it can kind of sum it up with the animation. Mm. That I think there's some good animation in it, but it's kind of cheap at the same time. Yeah. So, like, it falls down. The in-betweeners, I think, fail the show quite a lot. Um, yeah, 1989 Nelvana. Right. And there's there's a funny thing I was thinking about is that Beetlejuice's design... He's got stripes all over his uh, his suit. Yeah. And Lydia, although we don't see her like this in this episode, her Neither Will uh, costume is kind of a poncho with 
uh, spider web motif on it. Right. So you'd think all these lines and stripes and the like would help. And they do kind of help you like measure out parts of the body. But on the other hand, if you're in the crunch of animating, they hypnotize <laughs> you. Like you're looking at all these stripes and you just can't even tell what you're drawing anymore. That's a good point. Uh, I think probably that happened a lot <laughs> in this show. It's that, what's it like highway hypnosis? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, I'd see things. Like, there's an instance where Beetlejuice trips one of those uh, uh, party guests in a can. Yeah. And the the poses are, are really good. Like, I can see the animator's knack for how he's tripping them. But then, you know, a lot of the episode is just kind of a little clumsy. Hmm. And I think, like, that animation extends to, like, a lot of the things in the show. That some of the things have a lot of charm and some of the things, as you say, don't age all that well. Hmm. Uh, one of the really good things in the show is uh, Danny Elfman's reworking of the Beetlejuice theme. Oh, the theme, the title theme for this show is one of the best in cartoons. Yeah. And then even like the opening shot where it's uh, a low shot where you see Beetlejuice from about like the chest down or maybe it's just chin down. And he oh. takes that little step and then the stripes go up his pants. But yeah, you just see his foot just tap. It's like yeah. Beetlejuice. And then stripes start going up and this voice says Beetlejuice three times. Yeah. And then you got that. Uh, and, he, uh, and he's just he, like that. He's pivoting around while screaming and jumping and laughing. Yeah. And like he's moving his arms in these like 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 he's raising waves, you know. Yeah. He's, he's, oh, man. That title sequence. Like I've said, I think I've said before that something that bugs me is when cartoons have a theme song that introduces all the cast members. Yeah. But this one doesn't have really have any lyrics except for la 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 and the occasional <laughs> yeah. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Um, but there is a part where uh, Beetlejuice and Lydia on this kind of roller coaster go through Beetlejuice's house and all the his roommates and neighbors and all the recurring characters. Um, mm. uh, Charles and Delia, D- uh, Lydia's yeah. parents are there. Like it just it shows you all the characters doesn't introduce them, but it's like. Mm. But it's all just through this and the sandworms, the one thing that yes. can threaten Beetlejuice. Um, what a great title sequence. Yeah. They changed yeah. it in later seasons. Yeah. I, mm, mm. You know, I'll say that this is a good episode for you to give me mm-hmm. uh, because I don't much like the original Neatherworld characters. Yeah, Jacques and the tap dancing spider and yeah. the, uh, the the neighbor with his dog monster across really, the street. Yeah, I don't really like them. Uh, yeah. I much prefer uh, Lydia's human peers. Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a running thing in this show is this the snooty girl. Yep, I, and I mean in our show. Oh, oh, we've, oh! We've had we've had a bunch of them. Whether oh. it's. Uh, from my uh, my life as a teenage robot, mm. or uh, uh, the ghost and Molly McGee, yeah, Andrea. the mighty bee. Uh, yes, um, yes. Oh, I'm sure there's so many more. Yeah. That we, we, oh, and uh, the Owl House too. Oh yes, yeah. Amity. So she's okay as a foil, Claire. Except one thing that applies to a lot of these other shows to me as well mm. is that it really doesn't feel like punching up to me when. You have access to supernatural powers, <laughs> and all she is is rich. It doesn't seem yeah. very even, but uh, and it certainly isn't. <laughs> I like um, one of 
Lydia's friends. Let's call her Bertha, the tall one. That is the correct one. Yeah. Okay. I like that she has these weird knees. Oh, yeah. Did you notice her knees? Like, her legs go down, and then they they become half circles for her knees. And I don't mean, like, mm. they bulge out. I mean, like, the actual, like, the skinny legs, like, turn, like they're avoiding something. And then oh. go <laughs> straight back down again. It's, oh, okay. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an amusing look. Um, Actually, we should talk about Prudence and Bertha, Lydia's dorky friends. Yeah. Uh, for voice actors. Oh. Yeah, this fun a funky uh, kismet here that that years ago uh, that Prudence was voiced by Tabitha St. Germain. Wow. And, uh, and that uh, Bertha is voiced by Tara Strong, who actually also voices Claire. I did not know that. You did not know that. I yeah. didn't. I didn't see their names in the credits. I mean, I know that Tabitha well, Saint just, Germain went by a different name uh, earlier. They're just additional in voices oh, in the credits, mm. I guess. But I looked it up. Yeah, huh. Tabitha Saint Germain and Tara Strong, pretty funky. Maybe they're in later seasons. Yeah, whatever. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. It was years ago, so it could be like I wouldn't expect them to sound like the My Little Pony voices yeah. they grew into. But something um, I learned, like probably within the last year or two, mm-hmm. you know who does the voice of Lydia. I do. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so Lydia is voiced by a lady named Allison Court. Yeah. And that name might not sound familiar, but she's the friggin' clown in the big comfy couch. Yeah, Lunette who rolls around on the clock and yeah. What the heck? The the clown from the big comfy couch is Lydia in 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 in, in Beetlejuice? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do Americans know who Lunette is? It might be a Canadian thing. I don't thing. know. Yeah, I, I wonder. It probably is. I don't know. For for uh, If you don't know for whatever reason, go ahead and look that up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, look at that weird... Look up the big comfy couch and look at this girl and like this clown, basically. Yes. And, and it's not a cartoon. It's live action. And this, this woman... <laughs> Dressed up as a clown was the voice of Lydia in the Beetlejuice cartoon that you probably watched. It's funky. Yeah. I don't know. Earlier I was talking about spinoffs. I could almost see if they wanted to do this again. I kind of wouldn't mind seeing a Betty Juice cartoon (laughs) where they wouldn't even worry about is like maybe maybe she would be the regular persona and would transform into Mr. Beetleman and stuff like that. But. Well, I can see that. I mean, they're making a Fiona and Cake spinoff of Adventure Time. Mm. So, I mean, if you wanted to do some, you know, alternate reality fan fiction thing, you know, maybe Lydia. Oh, maybe Lydia grew up to be an author and Betty Juice is like the um, like she, she writes books for young adults. And Betty Juice is the creepy dead girl in a living school or something that yeah, Lydia yeah, writes yeah. stories about. That could be cool. Now, we can talk a little bit about Lydia. Mm. Um, so I think she's pretty. And so my th- my thought is that Claire picks on her because she's threatened by her. Mm. Well, she's um, also weird. She's well, sure. In, she in the movie, herself. in the movie played by Winona Ryder, she describes herself as strange and unusual. <laughs> I love in the movie when she's writing her suicide note. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, 
scratches it out to make it more dramatic. Yeah. But uh, I think probably she's cartoon Lydia is probably the crush of so many kids. Maybe. But I'll say as I as I look at her now that uh, the character that I'm disappointed that she's mostly just kind of a wet blanket. In this episode, you get to see her be a little bit of a freak. Yeah. Uh, she, but she looks cute in her wolf outfit. Yeah. I think uh, even besides animation, that female characters almost defaulted into being wet blankets. Mm. And it's kind of boring to watch, really. It always so, annoyed me how Lydia would laugh at everything funny, funny Beetlejuice did. Yeah. Like she was an audience stand in. Like, huh. I don't know. Like, maybe, like, I don't know what reaction I expect, but maybe it's just because, you know, Beetlejuice is giving out these lame puns and she's like, (laughs) that I kind of like because, you know, it shows that she's not just annoyed with him, that there's a reason why she's his friend. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's true. Yeah. So (laughs) it fits the theme. I don't know that I'm going to be rushing to watch a whole lot more Beetlejuice, Mm. but. Uh, one of the reasons for that, though, is that I've mentioned before that uh, cartoons that get shown in Canada often are shown because they're subsidized for having Canadian content. Yeah. In this case, animated here, voice acted here and everything, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Beetlejuice was on TV forever. Yeah. I mean, forever, like not even in blocks of cartoons, just on its own, you know, even at some point on Sunday afternoons, you'd get... An errant episode of Beetlejuice. So. <laughs> um, you know what the lasting legacy of the Beetlejuice cartoon for me is? And I guess this might even go into the movie to some extent, but obviously I had more exposure to the cartoon. Oh, right. Um, I've probably seen the movie maybe three times in my life. Okay. Um, but the everlasting impact that this cartoon had on me was to screw up my idea of what the afterlife was called. Because I remember, see, there was an episode of uh, Ghostbusters where um, Egon mentions the netherworld. Right. And I remember at the time thinking it's pretty of, I think it's neither world. I think, and you know, this world, like, and I was like, neither world, netherworld. We used to play Magic the Gathering. And there was a creature called the Nether Shadow. Okay. And there was like, it wasn't a militant thing, but something that I picked up on as I was playing was that there were different factions of people who would call it the Neither Shadow or the Nether Shadow. And it wasn't until years and years later when I was thinking about it and I realized, oh, in Beetlejuice, it's not the Nether World like the afterlife. It's the Neither World. As in, it is neither living or dead. Yeah, I it's think a different word. The movie. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it, it would have gone over my head because I wasn't trying to think about the um, semantics of the words. But it took me until my forties to realize yeah. that there weren't two pronunciations of the word "nether." It was a totally different word, "neither." <laughs> Funky. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty charming. It's pretty charming that you insisted on calling it the "neither shadow," though. Well, I i mean, it's not a creature that a lot of people used, but, um, mm. but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what this cartoon did to me. It screwed up my knowledge of the word nether. 
So what do you think on the whole? Of Beetlejuice? Yeah. Oh, no. Is that the third time? Um, <laughs> well, I think it is what it is. It's okay. <laughs> it's a weird... Yeah. It's a weird... A weird extension of a movie that's not really for kids into yeah, something I, for kids. I didn't mind rewatching it. Mm. The, there's some charm in it and there's plenty of jank, too. Yeah. Maybe remembered a little more fondly than it should be, at least in Canada. You know, maybe in the United States, it was gone. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think it was played a long time in the States, but, you know, nothing like nothing like us where. Mm, yeah. It's probably even played in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can finally move on from Halloween. Since it's getting into mid-November now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, just uh, just shows about mustaches now for Movember. Oh, all right. Yeah. OK, cool. <laughs> Great. I got the perfect thing to start with. You sort of floated the idea of watching a movie again. Sure. And I just kind of went, hmm, hmm, hmm. What's something we've watched a lot of anime? What's something not anime? And I was really stuck until suddenly a movie popped into my head that I always wanted to watch when it was around, but never mm. did. And that movie is called Cats Don't Dance. Mm. I've I've seen the commercials for it. I never actually went and saw it and I never actually went and rented it. So I've never seen this movie. Right. And I've probably watched every minute of this movie, <laughs> but never, never sat down and watched it straight uh, front to back. So cool. All right. It'll be good to uh, to get our impressions of it. So look forward to that. We're talking about cats next week. Cats with mustaches. All right. So in the meantime, let us know what you think of our show and make sure to tell us what you want us to watch, because as previously mentioned, we are contractually obligated to watch anything you tell us to. You can uh, forward that information on by catching me on Twitter at AC Matsy. That's right. Tell your friends about Animation Celery. I'm at Drab Swatch on Twitter. Now, activate all generators. One. Two, three, four. Ready the fusion engine. Now engage the Celery Stalker's slogan. It's okay, cool guys see naked women all the time. I'm totally used to it. 